Well, good morning, and welcome again to Signal Church. My name is Darren. If you're a visitor with us, thank you for joining us. Uh, can you give my friend Connor a, a hand? Connor uh, is the one that just brought this table and this stool up here. As Selena mentioned, I did have surgery about a week ago. Uh, I have three nice little incisions in my abdomen. How fun is that? Um, back to Connor, though, real quick. People like when I talk about them up here, especially my wife. But I don't have a story about my wife today, but I will tell you one real quick thing about Connor. Connor is the president of a local motorcycle club. And I like to give his wife and he a hard time and call it a gang. Because I just think gang sounds cooler than club. Um, and some of that is, can I just, I want to tell you a quick story. This is popping in my head. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Is that all right? Can I tell you a quick story? Can I tell you a quick story? All right, you with me? Are we awake this morning? All right. I'm not on drugs anymore. I'm fine. So just, just stick with me here. So we're traveling through South Carolina a few years back, well, more than a few years back, and, and uh, we stopped in this, at this gas station in this little podunk town in, in South Carolina. And we stopped basically because my youngest daughter had gotten car sick. And, you know, my wife Jenny is, is rushing her into the bathroom, and she throws up all over the sidewalk outside of the... the uh, the convenience store, the gas station, you know, I don't know if you ever saw my cousin Vinny, it was like that, right? You know, the gas station in the beginning. So they go in, my oldest daughter goes in with them, I'm kind of sitting outside, and you know, I figure, well, I'd get some gas in a Slim Jim or something, so I do what I do, and, and, uh, and all of a sudden this, this motorcycle gang pulls up, uh, and, and they're probably 80 deep, like 80, 80 motorcycles, like with the, with the, the jackets, the whole deal. You know, we have a few of these folks in here right now, and they scare me even still. So uh, we'll talk about our church here in a minute. But um, so, I, you know, I'm like, huh, they, 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 these look like bad people, you know. And I'm, I'm kind of clean cut and stupid looking, and I'm like, you know. So they have the jackets on, and, and so I, I look on the back of the jackets, and I see the name. And I, I don't remember the name right now off the top of my head. It was like something like Satan's Evil Helpers or something like that, seriously. So I Google it. And they got a Wikipedia page. I'm like, oh, they got Wikipedia. Maybe they're not as bad as they look, right? No, 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 no. They're on Wikipedia because of their crime, right? They're into, like, narcotics, smuggling, and murder, right? So my oldest daughter comes out of the convenience store first. I'm like, Amelia, you got you to go get mommy, like, now. She's like, what? Look, 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 what's going on here? Go get her. So she goes in and gets her, Jenny's freaking out, right? Like, what, what do we got to leave for? We gotta go right now. We got to go. So we get in the car. She's yelling at me. Husbands, you know how that's right. You, you know, you know, you get yelled. Yeah, you have no idea, right? So I said, listen, that motorcycle gang, like Satan's evil helpers, like they're like wanted criminals, like America's most wanted. Remember that whole show? She's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I like saying gang. I like saying gang, because I like telling people, we have, we have motorcycle gang people at our church. Because <laughs> you say club, people are like, ah, you know, club, whatever. It's like boys club, girls club, anyhow, whatever. Okay, we're here. Let's go, here. All right, oops, pack fell. We're going to be all right this morning. You guys are videoing this, right? Awesome, good. So um, this morning we're starting a new sermon series uh, called um, Joyful. And we're looking at the book of Philippians. And uh, I preached on this about three and a half years ago or so. Uh, but it's been a little while. And in 2020, uh, I thought this would be a great time 
to come back to the book of Philippians. Uh, because in the book of Philippians, you see, you see a bunch of different themes, but one of them is joy, one of them is contentment. Uh, you see those kind of things come out, and, and Paul really talks a lot about Jesus. And in 62 AD, so, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago or so, while in prison in Rome, you, you probably have heard me share this before, but while in prison in Rome, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians to the church, at Philippi. He wrote this joy-filled, content-filled letter while in prison in Rome. We've got to let that sink in a little bit, as crazy as 2020 has been, right? None of us are in prison, I don't think. Maybe some of the gang people are in here are, but, but what I want you to do is, I want you to, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to, to Philippians chapter 1, and, and if you didn't bring uh, your Bible, I want to encourage you uh, to, to bring your Bible. Bring your Bible, bring a pen, a notebook, whatever you have, a highlighter, whatever you use. And uh, I want to encourage you to take notes and, and to really let God's Word kind of marinate in your heart and your mind. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, please let me know. I'd be glad to buy one for you. Uh, if you're into this kind of thing and, and you want to go out and steal one, God forgives. He forgives. But listen, when you get caught and you're arrested... Um, tell the police you go to Faith Baptist Church in Southington, and your pastor's name is Stephen. And see what does Stephen look like? He has a beard and black hair. That's what Stephen. Okay. So what I want to do is I want to read Philippians chapter one, uh, verses one and two. We're looking at just two verses this morning. That's it. So this is what God's word says. Paul and Timothy. Servants of Christ Jesus. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word and thank you just for the opportunity we had to worship this morning. And God, I just pray that just these few verses will change our lives even this morning. God, do what only you can do. Change our hearts. Change our posture. Help us to surrender more and more to you and help us to live just sacrificial lives like you did, Jesus. I mean, a Christian is a little Christ, and, and help us, God, to live in that way. Jesus, change us. Transform us, we pray in your name. Amen. So over the last 27 years or so as a Christian, um, I came to Christ about age 18, age, age 19. And, but over the last 27 years, I've been involved in a lot of churches. Uh, whether this thing keeps falling out, I'm going to... Lose my mind. Hold on a second, please. Shove it in there. There we go. But over the last 27 years or so as a Christian, I've been involved in a lot of churches, uh, either as a lay person or as a pastor. And I, and I found that I'm drawn to churches that are full of both sinners and saints. And thankfully, my wife is the same way. There's nothing wrong with being in a homogenous church, you know, a church that, where everyone is kind of the same. Right? Where everyone knows your name. But they're just not for us. You know, we, we prefer churches to have all sorts of people 
the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's one of the reasons why we love this church, because there's some ugly people in here. I'm going to roll today. I'm going to roll. It's been a little while. I'm going to roll. I get it. No, but one of the reasons why we love this church is that there are people with so many different backgrounds. There are people with so many different stories. There are people just with so many differences. I mean, we have Democrats. We have Republicans. We have people full of tattoos. We have people with no tattoos. We have business people. We have, you know, people that are just struggling to get by. There are people with all kinds of different situations and circumstances in their lives. But what I love, one of the things that holds us together is, is we're all sinners and we're all saints that need Jesus. We're all sinners and we're all saints that need Jesus. We need him. That's one of the reasons why I love the book of Philippians. Because it is a, it's, it's an, a letter, it's an epistle about joy. But it's also a letter, it's an, it's an epistle that really focuses on Jesus. And we need both of those desperately right now, don't we? We need Jesus and we need joy. Amen? amen. It's a good time to amen. amen. See, but I, you know, I also love the book of Philippians too because, because of the backstory. The backstory of the book of Philippians is so cool. And I want to look at that a little bit this morning before we look at these first two verses. See, the church of Philippi began... With, with kind of three families, in a sense. It began with a, a wealthy kind of fashionista, a, a wealthy businesswoman. It began with a, a slave girl, a young woman. They, a lot of people, uh, scholars presume she was 13, 14, 15 years old. And a middle class, kind of an upper middle class jailer. This is by no means a homogenous church. It's a church that in a lot of ways would look like our church. Well, let me, let, let's look a little bit at this backstory. So now if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to go to Acts chapter 16. We talked about this a few weeks ago. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper now and, and kind of show us how Acts 16 kind of fits in with Philippians 1. But in, in the book of Acts, this is the, the book of Acts is kind of the first story of the Christian church. We find that the Apostle Paul, you might remember this from a month or so ago, but the Apostle Paul receives a vision. We presume he's sleeping, he receives a vision from God, and in this vision, he sees a Macedonian man. Macedonia was kind of uh, an area uh, in, in kind of southern Europe. He receives this vision from this Macedonian man, and in the vision, the man says to Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. In other words, come over to Macedonia and tell us, about Jesus. Tell us how we too can become saved. Without delay, Paul and Luke, the writer of the gospel, Luke and the book of Acts, a man by the name of Silas and, and Timothy, Paul's young protege, all get on a boat and they travel from where they were in Asia to southern Europe. They landed in Philippi. It's one of the places they landed, in Philippi, and they stayed there for a little while. Now, Philippi was kind of a metropolitan, kind of thriving city. So if, if you want to have some sort of kind of context, Philippi would be akin to like New York City, or Chicago, or Minneapolis, or Miami, kind of a bustling kind of hub. I don't know why I said Minneapolis, but I did. Whatever. It's cold there. 
Well, as they're in this thriving city, it's, they come to the Sabbath day and they're like, you know, we want to go worship God like you're doing here this morning or like you're doing online. They're like, we want to worship God. It's a Sabbath day. So they go out about the town. They don't find a temple. There's no church anywhere. You might remember me saying this a few weeks ago, but basically what that means is there weren't enough Jewish men in Philippi to have a Jewish synagogue or temple. So they're wandering around. They come to the city gate or outside the city by a river, and they see some people praying. And they're praying to the Israelite God, the one true God. Now, most of the people that are there were women. And as they're praying and as they're talking and as Paul and the others are sharing the gospel... Look at what it says in verse 13 of Acts 16. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart, opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. So what happens here then is Lydia... And her family respond to the gospel. That means they surrendered their lives to Jesus. They're then baptized. They become the first members of the church of Philippi. Now, a little bit more about Lydia here real quick, because we need to notice a few things about her. Purple cloth, the thing that she dealt in, her business, was a very expensive material back then. So we presume, we know that she's a wealthy woman. She's making bank back then, right? Now Lydia, it also said, was a God-fearing woman. That is, she was an Israel, or she was not an Israelite, rather, but she believed in the one true God. So somewhere along the way, maybe in kind of her dealings as a, a purple cloth dealer, as, as being a, a, a businesswoman, she came across, you know, a, a faithful Israelite. And maybe that Israelite shared you know, about the one true God with her, and Lydia surrendered to the one true God. Now she's hearing more of the story. She's hearing about the Messiah. She's hearing about Jesus. She surrenders her life to Christ. So does her family. They're all baptized. Now, what's cool to note here is Lydia was wealthy. She's wealthy. She's religious. But she was a sinner that needed Jesus. She's a sinner that needed Jesus. So following her and her family's radical transformation, God would change another person in Philippi with the gospel. A demon-possessed slave girl. I mean, this story in Acts chapter 16 is absolutely an incredible story. And it's one we need to hear today. Because there are people in this world, and maybe even in this room, that think, I'm too bad to be saved. God can't change my life. Uh -huh, really? Well, let's see. Once, this is Acts 16, 16. Once, Luke wrote, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit, essentially an evil spirit, by which she predicted the future. BT Dub, stay away from all the tarot card readers and all that nonsense. Amen? That's just bad news. You don't need none of that Ouija board, you know, janky booty stuff, right? My girl, or, yeah, my girls, my daughters have been wanting me to say janky and booty uh, for like the last few weeks in a sermon. So there you go. There it is. I love you too, girls. So once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. 
she made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. So as the young girl followed Paul and his friends, she kept kind of badgering them. And she kept kind of getting under Paul's skin. And finally, he snaps at her. And he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And by the way, if you're any, ever in a precarious situation, or if you're any, ever in a place where you feel kind of oppression, call out the name of Jesus, and that oppression will flee immediately. That's what Paul does. And instantly, it says the Spirit came out of her. It came out of her right away, it says. So this young girl was demon-possessed. She's poor. This is a slave girl. She's poor spiritually. She's poor emotionally. She's poor physically. She's a broken young girl. She's different in so many ways from Lydia, isn't she? Lydia is wealthy, put together, religious, you know, doing the thing. And here we have this young, broken girl. But they had something in common. They both needed Jesus. Well, another person is added to the church in Philippi here with this young slave girl. But the story doesn't stop there. There's even more growth in this young church in Philippi. See, sometimes, and we need to say this, see this, but sometimes growth happens in hardship. Growth happens sometimes in struggle. And that's what we see in this next story. See, up to this point, growth in the church of Philippi is happening kind of with good things, right? You know, a wealthy woman coming to Christ, awesome. A demon-possessed young girl, 13, 14, 15, part of a youth group, comes to Christ, awesome. What about the next story? Well, obviously... When the owners of the slave girl, the demon-possessed girl, come to pick her up and she's a new person, no longer demon-possessed, they were a little agitated. So they find Paul and Silas. We have no idea where Timothy and Luke were at this point, but they find Paul and Silas and they have them thrown in prison. There's a lot more to the story there. You can look at it in Acts 16. But they have them thrown in prison. While in prison... Paul and Silas, they're not lamenting. They're not making their, you know, one call out. They're in prison worshiping Jesus. They're praising God. They're sharing the gospel with the other prisoners present. Listen again in Acts 16, what happens. Suddenly, there was a a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were thrown open and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. Well, what's going on there? I explained this a few weeks ago. Let me, let me just... You know, make some sense of it real quick here again for you if if you weren't here, if you don't remember. Basically, this jailer, his job was to, to keep these prisoners in prison. This earthquake happens. He looks around. The jail cell gates are open. He panics. He thinks everybody escaped. And now he thinks, you know what? 
I'm going to be put to death. My family's going to be embarrassed, and I'm going to be embarrassed because it's my fault that they got out. So he's like, you know, rather than have that embarrassment on my head and my family's head, I'm just going to, I'm going to kill myself. So just as he raises the sword to take his own life, the Apostle Paul shouts out, don't harm yourself. We're still all here. So obviously at some point in this whole interaction, we're not told the whole story here obviously, but at some point in this whole interaction, from what the jailer saw, from now what he just experienced, he looks at Paul and Silas and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? I mean, he's different than Lydia, isn't he? Isn't he? He's way different than the slave girl. But like them, he too needed Jesus. So the jailer, then what happens, what transpires is the jailer and his family surrendered their lives to Jesus. They're then baptized. So this is how the Philippian church came to be. With a wealthy businesswoman, a young former slave girl, And a trained killer. Can you imagine? I can. That's us. And it's great. (laughs) Not the trained killer part, but you know what I'm getting at. But see, they're sinners. They're sinners that have been transformed by Jesus. This is who Paul wrote his letter to. See, if Jesus can change their lives, he can change yours. It doesn't matter what your backstory is. He can change your past and give you an incredible present and future. So that's that's their backstory, right? So now let's look at Philippians 1.1 here. Let me unpack this a little bit for us. So we have who Paul is writing to. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, this is just kind of a simple greeting, but there's a lot to take note of here. And this is why reading and studying your Bible uh, can transform you. I've read Philippians, I don't know, maybe a hundred times since I came to faith in Jesus over 20-some years ago. And things still come alive, and I still see new things even to this day. I want you to notice just a couple things just in this short greeting. First, it's interesting to note that Paul does not self-identify here as an apostle. Well, pastor, what does that mean? In his letters to the churches of Rome, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, his personal letters to Titus and Timothy, Paul identified himself as an apostle, but not when he addressed the Philippians. He said a servant. Well, why is that? We don't really know, but most scholars presume because of his close relationship, his close friendship with this ragtag group of believers. He was essentially saying to them, "Uh, yeah, I was a bad dude too. And I killed Christians once. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus radically changed my life. I'm right there with you, Philippians. 
I'm a servant of Christ just like you. Second, notice the Apostle Paul wrote, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul wrote the letter himself. He uses the first personal pronoun, I and me, a lot throughout the letter. So, but he's mentioning that Timothy is, is in prison with him. But notice the phrase, servants of Christ Jesus. The word servant there is probably better translated. If you have the King James or even the New Living Translation, it uses the word slave, and that's probably a better translation here. It's the Greek word doulos. Doulos was a person legally owned by someone. Their entire livelihood, a servant or a slave's entire livelihood back then, their entire purpose was determined by their owner. In other words, slaves depended on everything or for everything from their owners. So in the same way, what Paul and Timothy are communicating here is we're dependent on Jesus for everything. We are serving Christ. Even as we're in prison, awaiting our release or possible death, we are dependent on Jesus for everything. What about you? What about you? Are you dependent on Jesus for everything? You know, the, this whole stupid virus and all this nonsense that's going on in our country is showing a lot of holes in our Christianity. And a lot of Christians, it's showing and it's a glaring revelation that a lot of us aren't dependent on Jesus for everything. We're not trusting in Him with everything. We're trusting the words of a news outlet or of our friends or family or neighbors. Not dependent on Christ. See, Christianity following Jesus will listen. Y'all listening to me? I know I'm sitting down, I'm moving a whole lot, but I hope you're listening. Christianity will never, ever make sense to you unless you realize that you need Jesus for everything in your life you must really pastor you must be dependent you like the enunciation dependent on him for everything everything well what about no i would say everything you see learning to serve jesus is better than waiting on Jesus to serve you. And sadly, that is American Christianity right now. Jesus, what can you give me? Jesus, what are you going to do for me? Uh-uh. You're wrong. That's, that's the wrong prayer. Jesus, how can I serve you? Mark 10.45, right? Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If I can memorize that, you can too. And that should be your life mantra right there. It ain't about me, it's about Jesus. And it ain't about me, it's about other people. That's commandment one and two of the greatest commandments. 
See, some of us struggle to follow Jesus because we don't want to serve him. And we need to start being honest and confess and repent of that. We don't want to serve him. We're too selfish. We're too self-centered. We're too self-seeking. We're even too self-promoting. If I see one more ad on Instagram of a pastor promoting himself, I'm going to drive to his church and punch him in the forehead. I can't take it. See, those words might seem a little harsh, but, but I want to let us in on a little secret. Here's a little secret. Everyone is serving someone or something. And you think about that in your life. Everyone is serving someone or something. If, it, if it'll help you kind of sing along to it. In 1979, when Bob Dylan released his first of three Christian albums. Yes, Bob Dylan gave his life to Jesus in the late 1970s. He wrote a song called, Gotta Serve Someone. Gotta Serve Somebody. Go look it up. Everyone is serving someone or something. What are you serving? Who are you serving? If it's not Jesus, what is it? See, the thing, we run to these things, right? Whatever the person is, whether it's, you know, a, 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 our spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a relationship, maybe even singleness, whether it's drugs or alcohol or your job, wealth, your 401k, your 401b, I don't know what it is for you. But we run to those things and we serve those things because we think those things are going to save us. We think in some way, somehow, they're going to give us salvation. And they can't. It's a whole other sermon, but they can't because they're dead. Only Jesus is alive. Only Jesus is alive. See, before Jesus, before Jesus, Lydia served wealth. She served religion. Before Jesus, the young girl served her masters. She did what they told her to do. Not what Jesus said to do. Before Jesus, the jailer served Rome. Got some Christians right now that are serving the state. Politicians, red or blue, not Jesus. See, everything, everything in this world that, that we're trying to serve will take from you. It always does. It's taking something from you. Not Jesus. Jesus is the only one that gives. And he gives. And he gives. Well, after identifying himself, along with Timothy, Paul said this, right, in verse 1. To, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are, who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Now, I need to sit here for a little bit. Notice the word saints. Paul didn't call the Philippian sinners I mean, these are a messed up group, right? 
He doesn't call them sinners. No, he calls them saints. And biblically, a saint is a person who is set apart by God. A saint is someone who is holy, sacred, dedicating to serving Jesus. A person does not become a saint because some church said so or because a pope said so. A person doesn't become a saint based on their religious merit or because they wear a big hat and a long flowy robe. That ain't a saint. Sinners become saints by the transforming, life-changing message of Jesus Christ. That's how a sinner becomes a saint. That's it. That's all. See, when you surrendered, if you're a Christ follower, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, He transformed you. He changed you. God no longer sees you as a reckless sinner. He sees you as a righteous saint. God sees you as He sees His Son, spotless and sinless. I mean, listen, that's hard for me to grasp, and I've been studying the Bible a long time because I know how deep my sin is. I know the people I've hurt. You might not feel like a saint because maybe you continue to battle some sin and that's understandable. I get it. But positionally, God sees you not as a sinner, but as a saint. His adopted son and his adopted daughter. That's how God sees you. Now, does that mean, you know, well, oh, wow, now I get a free pass? You know, I'm a saint, so I could keep on sinning. There was a guy in Russia, I love history, you know this, but there was a guy in Russia back in the day named Rasputin. Go look him up. He actually thought that and believed that. I'm going to go keep on sinning because God just keeps being so gracious. That's anti-gospel. The reality is when you've been transformed by Jesus and you've been adopted into his family, you've been made a saint. You're set apart for Jesus. Your life should be about Jesus. You should hate your sin. You should seek to run from your sin. When you stumble and fall, and you will, you will, get up, dust yourself off, confess your sin, repent, and run as fast as you can back into the loving arms of Christ. Amen? You see, as you live for Him, you're going to find meaning, you're going to find purpose, you're going to find joy. You know what I noticed? And listen, I'm guilty of this too. I've done it, I've done it here. I've done it from the pulpit. We as Christians identify far too much as sinners and not enough as saints. And I wonder if we had this kind of paradigm shift a little bit and we thought more about our position with God if our mindset would change a little bit. If maybe we would live life with a little bit more joy and gladness if we thought, you know what? I'm a saint. Jesus saved me. Thank you, God. See, we continue to sin, but... 
But sin no longer defines us. We're defined by God. We're defined by Jesus. See, have you noticed like in the world right now, right? Everybody is defined uh, by mm, essentially a sin or a, a broken attribute about themselves. But only Jesus, only Jesus defines you for who you really are, a child of God. See, saints are changed people. Verse 2. The apostle, so verse 2 of Paul's opening words, right? We have essentially a summary of the gospel here. I'm going to move here in a minute. But Paul wrote this, Grace to you. Again, this is part of the greeting, but there's so much here. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, grace is the unmerited, undeserved gift of God. So Lydia, the young girl, the jailer, and the rest of the church in Philippi experienced God's grace in Jesus Christ. They did nothing to earn their salvation. They did nothing to earn this new standing with God. And neither of you. we got to stop boasting as Christians and stop being so prideful. And actually walking in the faith and the promises that we have of God. God did everything, right? God did everything for you. He did everything for them. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's grace. Have you done anything in that John 3.16 passage? Have you? Yep. You believed. You believed, but that's because Jesus changed your heart to believe. Grace to you and peace. So just like grace... Peace, true, everlasting peace comes from God. we got people running all over the world right now like whack jobs, yelling about peace. Never going to have peace without Jesus. Sin has disrupted everything in this world. It has placed you at war with God. It has placed the world at war with God. It has placed us at war with others. That's what sin has done. It's disrupted everything. Only God, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, can remove the hostility between you and another person. Only God can remove the hostility that we're seeing between races. Only God can remove the hostility in our broken Fabricate culture. Only God can do it. Jesus said plainly in John 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Let that settle in a little bit. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. See, peace comes when you surrender your life to Jesus. Have you? Have you? And if you have, you're a Christ follower. Are you surrendering your life to Jesus every single day? See, every single day we should be preaching the gospel to ourselves. I need the peace and I need the grace that only Jesus can give and only Jesus can provide. Now, I want you to notice something here. Grace, Rachel, if you could throw that passage back up there. 
verse 2, notice this. Grace precedes peace. You cannot have peace without grace. If you want peace, you need the grace of God. See, some of us desperately want peace, but we're unwilling to surrender to Jesus and freely receive his gift of grace. Now, I want to just close here in a few minutes, but we've become, culturally speaking, we've become really good, and we really see this now, don't we? we become really good, though, at classifying people, putting people in in different groups. We put people in different groups by the color of their skin. We put people in different groups by the sexual preferences they have or their socioeconomic background or they're rich or poor or tatted up or not. Put them in all kinds of groups. But you know, there are really only two types of people in this world. Just two. Sinners and saints. That's it. If you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. And you desperately need Jesus. You don't want to stay in your sin. Your sin is eventually going to catch up to you. Here and now in this world and in the age to come. You don't need to stay there. You don't need to stay And to be identified as a sinner, your sin does not need to define you. See, there's good news, though, for the sinner. Romans 5.8, God proves His own love for us. In that while we were still yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Jesus died to set you free. He died to set you free from your sin. You no longer need to be a slave to your sin. By the grace and love of God, you've you've been set free. You, You can be a saint and receive life both now and for eternity. All it takes is just surrendering your life, praying a simple prayer, God, forgive me for I've sinned against you and I need you. Pray that prayer and come and talk to me and I would love to baptize you just like the three people we see in Acts chapter 16. Now, if you're a follower, if you're, if you're I'm going to get up here a second. If you're a Jesus follower, if you've surrendered your life to him, give thanks to him. Praise him. God. God, the king of the universe the creator and sustainer of all living things, sees you as a saint, holy, set apart, made perfect for his service. I mean, before Jesus changed your life, Ephesians chapter 2 says, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. That's in verse 1, and as you keep reading Ephesians chapter 2, you find that by the love and the grace of God, you've been given Christ and you've been transformed. You've been given life. That's something to give Him praise and glory for. You're a sinner, yes. 
But you're a sinner saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And now a saint. Give him glory and praise. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me and I'm going to close us. Well, I'm going to pray and we're going to have the worship team take us out here in a second. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, God, that because of you we have life. 